Welcome to the Panic Pod. Today's episode is called Do I Have OCD? Or How Do I Know I Have OCD? It's a question I get asked a lot um, by people who are unsure but can relate to the symptoms of OCD. By some people who clearly have OCD. Um, Some people are a bit like, I just want to know more and I want to know the similarities between anxiety disorders um, and OCD and OCD being part of being part of that. Um, we'll be talking about it from my perspective as an ex-sufferer. My guest will be too, but also talking about it from a professional perspective because unfortunately OCD is very as an often mistreated condition and a misunderstood condition, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm delighted to be joined today uh, by an excellent person who has taken time out to join me on the Panic Pod. The wonderful Jenna Overbar, uh, or Jenna.Overbar on Instagram, um, a licensed therapist um, in Wisconsin, America, um, and she knows everything about OCD. She's in the walking encyclopedia, and I can't wait to have her on today. How are you doing, Jenna? I'm good. I'm doing really good. I am so – I'm sitting here like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're saying those things about me because I feel the same about you. Um, so I'm super happy to be here. And I'm just generally feeling really good because my birthday is tomorrow. So you're my oh. last podcast as a 31-year-old. So let's do this. Oh, excellent. excellent. <laughs> I am two – one year older than you. Um, yeah, cool. I enjoyed being 32, more than 31. I don't know why. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was the it was an it was an even number. Um, <laughs> lovely. Uh, how long have you been working with, uh, specializing working with OCD, Jenna? So I started really early. I was always an anxious kid. I remember being super nervous going to school, and you know, who do I sit next to in the cafeteria? What if the teacher calls on me? Um, and I also knew that I hated anxiety. Like I hate, it was very early on something that I was very competitive with. Um, and so I always, from a very early age, took that as, okay, well, I guess I have to do that. Like, I guess I have to raise my hand then, or I guess I need mm. to go and sit next to the scariest person in school. Um, and that was just always how I dealt with it. And then when I went to college, my first year of college, no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I learned about, funny enough, because we don't ever talk about it in the United States, let alone um, kind of ever. Um, But I learned about OCD and anxiety, and I learned about exposure and response prevention, which is pretty much what I had always been doing, and that had always been my approach. So um, since 2008, it was like off to the races. Any project that I needed to do, any research um, that I needed to do for a class, any way that I could specialize in it, or any internship, any experience whatsoever, it was always honed in on exposure and response prevention or OCD, anxiety. So since 2008, I've been working with this population. Um, I've worked with kids. I've worked with adolescents, worked at Johns Hopkins Hospital here in the States um, with kids and adolescents with OCD and anxiety. And then I went on to uh, Rogers Memorial Hospital, which is one of the very, very few residential OCD and anxiety recovery units for adults. Um, So, you know, most debilitating cases in the whole entire world. Mm. 
you know, they kind of pack up their bags from all over the world and they come and they live with us in this big kind of mansion with 20 or 30 other people and they get round the clock care. Um, so that was really, really kind of my dream. And now I'm at no CD and I, I got into podcasting and social media somehow throughout all of this. So, um, it's a long winded way of saying since 2008 and I love everything about it. Yeah, I am very passionate about. I I, I liked when you said. I I realized this was stuff I was doing anyway, um, and there's a word for it. Right? When I struggled a lot with panic disorder, OCD, agoraphobia, um, and and I overcame it. I actually, re- looking back, actually realized what I was doing was was ERP, exposure response prevention. And what we'll do is we'll talk a bit more about that for the layman later on. Um, but yeah. In general, Jen is an ERP therapist, and I love ERP. And basically, it's what I kind of propagate in, in my work too. But we'll talk about, about that later on. Um, okay, let, let, let's address the kind of what it would be like for, you know, somebody who doesn't know much about OCD. I'm going to throw you in at the deep end. How, do you, how, does, how does one know that they have OCD? So I think so often we get this misrepresentation and misunderstanding that OCD is about, you know, excessive cleanliness, fear of germs, having to have everything just right or just so. Um, And that definitely can happen. It can be detrimental to some people, uh, but it's really just a drop in the bucket compared to all the other ways that it can manifest. So when we are just limited by those examples, what actually is happening is it's, it's, we call it actually the doubt disorder. Um, it's a, it's a disorder about doubt and it's the intolerance of uncertainty. Um, Mm. and it certainly comes up in several more conventional ways. Um, you know, we talk often about harm OCD, uh, sexual orientation, OCD, relationship, OCD, pure O, uh, there are lots of different ways that it can manifest, but Mm. the common thread that kind of links all of these things together are doubts and the intolerance of uncertainty and a lot of intrusive, scary thoughts that are repetitive and scary and not consistent with our character. We don't want to be having these thoughts. Um, So we do these kind of safety behaviors or acts, whether they're behavioral or mental, to to make Mm -hmm. ourselves feel better about them. And that helps for a little bit, but it just makes everything worse in the long run. Yeah, in my experience with OCD, a lot of it, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it's to do with the nature of intrusive thoughts. Uh, some some examples of intrusive thoughts I hear in my practice are violent intrusive thoughts, um, sexual intrusive thoughts, bizarre intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. um, thoughts about contamination, which is something you know, which is you know what people kind of see what the stereotype is but um ultimately it can begin a lot with intrusive thoughts um but there are other types of ocd as well isn't there um that that you that that you can come across um what other other types of ocd people um have you seen in in your work and jenna So yeah, intrusive thoughts is definitely a big one. So someone might have, you know, these thoughts that come in out of nowhere. What if I just stabbed my baby? Mm. Um, That could be more of a harm-related thought. Um, It could be really about anything, something that 
a lot of people struggle with, but don't tend to want to talk about just because it's so taboo are pedophilic thoughts, right? So Mm -hmm. did I look a little bit too long at that girl on the playground? Um, She was really pretty. Oh my gosh, she's underage. What does that mean about me? So those are thoughts, but of course they can also come, these obsessions can also come in the form of images. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of times people, they might be driving, for instance, they may be driving and have this image of just swerving off of the road. They don't want to do that. They have no, you know, want or desire or curiosity even about doing that. But it's kind of like, oh my gosh, why did I have that thought? What does that mean about me? Would I actually ever want to do something like that? And so then they you know, ruminate, they analyze it, they may avoid driving, um, they may uh, be really obsessive about their body, right? So, Mm. um, you know, I just felt as I'm sitting here talking to you, I felt a chill go down my legs. I'm going to let that come and go as just a normal, ordinary body response. But someone who has vulnerability to sticky thoughts and OCD, they may experience that sensation and then have the intrusive thoughts of, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Like, does that mean that I might have something wrong with my body? Why am I experiencing that? What could that possibly mean? So a form um, of health anxiety. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it can it can really latch on to anything. What we mm. find that it latches on to is um, typically what the person values, typically what the person values and what they aren't able or willing to tolerate uncertainty about um, is typically where we see OCD fester and take hold. Definitely. definitely. And I like the I, I like the use of, I think everyone, whether OCD or not, can relate to the thought of, you know, sitting behind the wheel and Driving, you know, driving into across, losing control, killing everyone, causing a hundred car pileup. Um, but what makes it OCD is that are you still thinking about it later on? Are you still ruminating mm-hmm. about it? Are you avoiding mm-hmm. it just in case? Uh, and I always, we always, when I work with my OCD clients, it's always how many just in cases have we done? You know, yes. which are, which is a compulsion. Uh, so just in case, just in case. Um, I find the difference between kind of OCD and, say, driving anxiety and agoraphobia is that OCD can be very rapid and intense mm-hmm. as opposed to people with driving anxiety and agoraphobia would be very much like, well, I'm fine if I avoid it, <laughs> you, know, you know, whereas, you know, it, it can be, it's just an example of them. Um, and you mentioned the word rumination, which I'm st- more believing more and more in the work I do is a kind of the central tenet to almost every anxiety disorder, which is mm-hmm. this, this this mechanism's behavior of rumination. I know, because as someone who had pure, pure OCD, um, I'm very uh, familiar with a ruminating a, a hell of a lot. Um, let's stick it back to kind of the rudimentary introduction. What would, why would you describe a compulsion? A compulsion would be to me something that someone feels they need to do. Like, I just have to do it, right? Like, just just <laughs> in case, just in case, right? Um, it's, it's that feeling, like that sense of urgency, like, um, you know, just this rush, like, I have to do it. Like, I have to do it and then I'll move on. Like, I have to do it and then it, everything's going to be okay. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of need behind it. Um, it's, it's not like a preference, like, oh, yeah, like, I'll get to that when I get to that. It's fine, like 
you know, eventually I'll, I'll handle it. It's like, no, I need to do, I need to do this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very urgent. It's this thing. It's, it's something that you do with your body. Maybe it's hand washing. It's asking somebody else for reassurance or going down the Google rabbit hole, trying to find out answers <laughs> to something. Um, or it can be more mental, right? So it can be this rumination, this hardcore mental engaging with a thought, trying to understand a thought, really going down the mental rabbit hole, um, could be more self-assurance. Like it's okay. That's clean. It's not a big deal. Everyone touches it. So it's fine. Um, and the intention behind both of those things is to feel better and to kind of eradicate or negate what it was that you were feeling anxious about. Um, and we all do little things like that, right? We all avoid every once in a while. We all go down rabbit holes of our own. But where it becomes compulsive is where it's really repetitive and there's a mm. almost a snowballing nature to it, right? Like it starts out very insidious and maybe even well-intentioned like, oh, I just want to look this thing up online. And then all of a sudden, like three weeks later, you are like glued to your phone. You are asking your doctors all these questions all the time. Like you're living on WebMD. Um, mm. Yeah. So it can snowball. It can become worse and worse and just really get out of control quite quickly. Mm. Yeah, I like, and I, I find that my, my that my listeners like uh, examples. So, sh- should we do some examples? We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll present an intrusive example. thought, and then we'll mention the compulsion. But an perfect. example of a compulsion. So, the most obvious one that comes to mind for me is, you know, um, I have a an alien body sensation. What would the compulsion be to that? A compulsion. Well, Right. So that person, Mm -hmm. two people can have the same thought, right? And they may have completely different compulsions. Um, So they're not always like really closely like one one to one tied together. Um, It's kind of whatever is effective for that person. So let's say that let's say someone has that this like alien sensation in their body. One person may have a compulsion to like maybe if they felt that sensation in their hands, maybe Mm -hmm. their compulsion is to like flex their hands to like make sure just in case that they can still move their fingers, maybe to get rid of that feeling, to Mm -hmm. get that self-assurance inwardly that like everything's fine. It was just a sensation. It's not a big deal. Somebody else might go on to Google like weird um, random tingling in my hands. What does this mean? Mm. Um, yeah, it could be, it could be anything for OCD. It could be saying like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that could Mm. be like their thing, right? It doesn't always have to be logically connected to Mm. what it is that they're anxious about. And oftentimes it's not, um, Mm. I've had several people, who have more of like this magical thinking-ness to their OCD, right? Where Mm. they, you know, for instance, they feel like I need to walk in and out that door seven times, otherwise my mom is going to die. You Mm. know, it's it's not always that logically linked. The ritual. It's kind of just whatever makes them feel better. Yeah, I used to do rituals and things as well growing up and um, mental rituals. Otherwise, I was afraid my family would die or something like that mm-hmm. uh and I was only looking back through my therapy and as an adult I was like oh wow I've kind of had OCD OCD traits all my life um which is which is fascinating
OCD comes with a lot of themes, and I think it's good to to list examples of themes and also these intrusive thoughts and compulsions because even though technically there's an infinite amount of themes you could have and there's an infinite amount of compulsions, I think it's always good to to list and talk about some of the most common ones because I know there'll be people with here with who just worry with with gad and they'll be like oh the, this this sounds like I've got OCD instead it's like no there's there's a difference here and we're going to talk through I mean the first of all the obsessive nature of something and the compulsive nature in its literal title um whereas gad is a very kind of it casts a very wide net in terms of what to worry about um but it does relate to OCD in the sense that with gad we believe we can solve our worries by ruminating uh, so, so there's, there is worries there. So yeah, some OCD themes. So you've got POCD, a very common one. That's pedophilia OCD. You've got sexuality OCD, which I hear a lot in my practice, which is, I'm not sure of my sexuality. You know, uh, uh, what if I'm gay? And then, and these poor people end up in conventional talking therapy where they're like, well, it doesn't matter if you're gay. And they're like, no, no, I just need to know if I'm gay or not. It doesn't matter. You just need to go and test it out. You just <laughs> need to go and explore. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not even about that. You've got um, gender OCD. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what if I'm transgender? You know, well, if you are, that's fine. No, no, no. I just need to know. I need to know if I'm transgender or not. I need to test right. the pulse. You've got um, violence OCD towards it's always to loved ones as well, but sometimes it can be when the stakes are high. You know, um, what if I smash my boss in the face with an ashtray? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, these and these will be obsessed about and compulsed about loads. Uh, you've got things like not what's it? Just right OCD. I love that. How would you describe just right OCD, Jenna? I love it. this. Is another just- stereotype, isn't it? That's exploited right. a bit. Yeah. And and it happens, but but yeah. it can also be this like really debilitating kind of feeling, right? Like I've really worked with so many people who they would stay in bed for so long that they would urinate on themselves, that they would not eat because they felt like they couldn't get out of bed until it felt just right. Mm-hmm. Like I've worked with so many people who during fire alarms in our old facility, like they could not get out of the building because every step that they needed to take needed to feel just right. Mm-hmm. Like that's yep. a big deal. And and so, Correctly. yeah, like just right can absolutely. Like I've certainly also worked with people who in a very debilitating sense, like they do need to have things like just so in their room or with their belongings, but you know, it, it's so it, – it has the potential to just be so much more debilitating than that. Like if you can't get out of bed and you can't get out of the building because of a fire alarm, mm. because of this like just right feeling, it just needs to feel just right. And I mean, I think anyone listening can resonate with like what does that even mean? Like what does mm. it even mean to feel right? Obviously, like the more that you focus on it, the more – illusory it becomes right like Mm. it becomes more fleeting and you become less confident in even what that means or what that feels like but that's life with untreated ocd like it Mm. it just it can just be so so awful it's crippling it's one of the most crippling um mental health conditions uh you can have um i was fortunate to say that i had it quite mild um and even that was crippling and some people particularly with kind of just right OCD or, or, or any really, 
Um, and you hear very tragic tales. Um, I've heard people cancel weddings, even though they do love their partner, because of the uncertainty and the compulsions. Uh, I know people kind of just crying because they've, they've, they've been to their doctor 50 times for the same symptom. Um, I've heard people, you know, because there's always that 1%. And this is, the re- this is where they hit with OCD, isn't it? OCD latches because it's literally your threat response trying to find a danger for you. It isn't really interested in probability. Mm-mm. We seek reassurance and compulsions to try and narrow the window and gap of that probability. But ultimately, you can never get 100% certainty on something. Um, that's why my motto is always, the willful tolerance, you know, recovery is the willful tolerance of uncertainty. Absolutely. Um, and, um, and it took me a long time to, to get my head around that. And people are sick of me saying it now, but I, I, I stand by, I stand by it. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Um, it takes a long time, doesn't it? For people to kind of get a diagnosis of OCD. I know, I mean, the mental health system here in the UK is absolutely shambles, but what is it like in the U S <sighs> Um, here in the U.S., I think that we certainly in comparison to others, other, you know, regions, it's a little bit better, but it's still awful. I mean, it, we have still such a long way to go. Um, even me. So I've been open before about my own experience, specifically with postpartum OCD. I've always struggled with like the concept of death and um, that's a all really of that common stuff. one, isn't it? I found that postpartum yeah. is so common for OCD and intrusive thoughts and triggers. And it's way more common than any website says. Like there's, you know, if we were to ask these women anonymously and actually mm. give them examples, like I, it would be the majority. It would be oh, the overwhelming mm. more than half. Um, yeah. But websites and statistics are going to say, oh, one to three percent. But people, one, women don't feel comfortable saying that to a professional. Like, yes, I have thoughts of harming my baby. And two, they don't understand OCD as being anything outside of cleanliness and having to have things just right. We, we all the time, like when we are hiring new therapists, you'd be surprised, but we still get people. We always give them like a little vignette. Like here's an example of postpartum OCD. There's this mom She's terrified of being alone with her baby. She had a thought, what if I just lost control alone with my baby and I stabbed my baby? I don't want to do that. And so she gets rid of all the knives, gets rid of all the scissors, gets rid of everything, can't be alone with her baby. Mm, And their reaction is I've had clients the same. Yeah. Yeah. Their reaction in this day and age coming to interview for like an OCD therapist position is that they would call a crisis care center and they would have this woman taken away from her baby and i'm like oh my gosh and often misdiagnosed with postnatal depression yes uh, I, I found that a lot as well but the intrusive thoughts are misdiagnosed you know, we don't like- even monitor that so mm-hmm. as a mom i have a four-year-old and this was my experience i we we very at six weeks, we are asked as parents, um, you know, how are you feeling? So on and so forth. We're given what's called the Edinburgh Depression Scale. And it's very face valid, which means like, obvi- it's very blunt. It's very like, are, do you have thoughts of killing yourself? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we know what they're asking. And it's very like harshly written. Um, but yeah, we don't get anything about anxiety, which is actually way more common in uh, new parents than depression. We don't get anything about trauma, which 
labor and delivery can be traumatic in a lot mm-hmm. of scenarios, right? So I don't know mm-hmm. why we're not asking or assessing for that. And intrusive thoughts are Literally common in traumatic. the majority, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so yeah, we just, we, if you're struggling in postpartum, you have postpartum depression, but it's so, so much more than that. So postpartum OCD is absolutely something that so many women struggle with. So, so mums, if you're listening or soon to be mums, um, or if you have a partner who struggles with anxiety or OCD, it's so fine to have. Intru- I mean, it's fine to have intrusive thoughts whenever, but if they suddenly kind of hit you, like a, like a, like a bus, you know, after you've given birth, or that's okay. You you are in a very common place there. It doesn't mean anything about you. In fact, I've just written a a, a, a book, uh, an e-pamphlet book actually on intrusive thoughts, which actually I'm going to just decide. I've, I've decided I'm just going to give away for free. Just go laugh. There you go. Yeah, because yeah, because that's it. My halo isn't going to shine itself. So, um, you know, I need to do these things. Uh, but yeah, on intrusive thoughts. And the the rule is, the motto in, in the whole book is, you know, intrusive thoughts thrive because they're the opposite of who you are. Exactly. Obviously, someone with OCT go, yeah, but mine's different. Yeah, but that's that's the joke. Um, but Or the other most common thing I hear from my OCD clients is, I can handle someone else's theme, but mine's the most important. No, it's that happens because your threat response is only interested in your theme. Yeah. And yeah, because yeah. It, it, at the yeah. end of the day, it's the same. I just made a reel about this the other day about how like we, it's so tempting to say it because that's just how desperate <laughs> people are when they're in the trenches of OCD, right? Like they do that compare it. Not that they do it. They are kind of victim of it because it's just so desperate. They're so urgently wanting to feel better. And sometimes that comes in the form of comparing your experience to someone else's like, oh, having thoughts about your baby. That's fine. That's not a big deal. I struggle with harming myself. That's mm. more important. And it's like, well, someone else could say that it the becomes emotional way, right? top trumps, like, doesn't it? Like you're trying to top yeah. trump each other, like. It, but it's like no, like your threat response. The whole point of it is to make you feel and doubt. There's the magic right. word that Jenna said before, doubt. And, yeah. and so you give it your attention. It's no different from like mm. you. Your favorite color might be green, and my favorite color is purple, right? Like mm. they're both colors. Like there, we are. Our relative experience is that we both enjoy those colors, and my experience of my experience doesn't take away from yours. It's the same with OCD. At the end of the day, it's both doubt. Like it's both their relative experience of each other is still very debilitating and debilitated by this disorder. And it's yeah, we can't get in that trap. We can't get in that trap no. of wanting another theme. No, I I what was really helpful for me is that I took a very mechanical view of OCD, whereas someone's explaining why is this this my theme why is that not my theme it's because the theme doesn't really matter because it's it's what your threat response has deemed important Mm -hmm. so and when i say to him you know if you have an intrusive thought about i don't know picturing your grandmother naked people usually go well it doesn't really trigger my, my my threat response i could handle that theme it's like yeah true but hypothetically and i don't know if i could ever do this hypothetically if i crawled into your brain, told you to have that thought, then pressed your amygdala button, you would then be convinced that that thought was important. And it's that separation which is so important when you're dealing with OCD. It's like the thought appeals appears real because it's seen through the lens of threat. And recovering mm-hmm. from OCD is turning off the threat response, which leads us 
nicely to the world and topic of ERP, exposure response prevention. What is What are these magic words, Jenna? Because there's not many people in the UK that actually do ERP, and when you do find them, they live in like a little rural house somewhere in the middle of the forest. You can never find them. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, ERP is not taught a lot here at all. Um, not not specifically anyway. Um, what is exposure response prevention, Jenna, and what does it look like? So exposure and response prevention or ERP is, I mean, here we call it like the gold standard treatment. It That's just a fancy way of saying that it's really evidence-based. It's backed by tons and tons of literature, of empirically studied literature, and, and it's, it's just by and far, you know, one of the most well-supported behavioral interventions. Um, so it means that you're getting something that was not just like cooked up somewhere by a, a random psychologist, and it seemed to work anecdotally, like we've studied this and it, and it works for the majority of people. Um, so exposure and response prevention is, I always say, the two-part solution to a two-part problem. So the two-part problem being obsessions, the intrusive thoughts, images, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then the compulsions, which we've talked about, exposure and then response prevention is that two-part solution. So the exposure piece is where you would work very systematically, ideally with a therapist, um, to kind of come up with these challenges that are anxiety-provoking, where you go out of your way to do these anxiety-provoking things. Or we're going out um, about we're going towards the fear. You're going towards the fear, but in a oh. way that's challenging but manageable. Um, so it's not like you go right in the deep end. If you're terrified of spiders, we don't have you like sit in a room with a ton of spiders crawling all over you. Just we one. might have you just one, just a little baby <laughs> one. No, that would even be hard for me. Um, yeah. But we might have you like you know, hear a story about someone getting bit by a spider, or we might have you look at a picture of a spider or watch a video of a spider. Eventually, so exposing right? us, ourselves to the content content of the fear. A hundred percent. Yes. Um, I know, am, I allow, am I allowed to bring, am I allowed to bring my safety behaviors with me just in case? You're, you're going to want to, but the, the, the thing is, is that when you do that, Let's say that you have like a little safety behavior, maybe like a, a phrase that you say to yourself or you want to like uh, brush your skin off after interacting with that spider. Um, the thing is, is that that's going to make you feel better for a teeny tiny bit of time, but it's just going to reinforce that spiders are scary. I can't handle it. Mm. I could not have coped with that situation. And good thing you did that safety behavior because otherwise something bad would have happened. And so we need to teach you another way, right? We need to teach you that your fears aren't as as probable as you think they are, that they're not as catastrophic as you think they are, and that even in the event that something happens, that you can handle it. That's what ERP mm. is all about, teaching you that you can handle it. And that's mm. such a beautiful feeling to give people because they're often so not confident in their ability and they often overestimate the consequences of something bad happening. Mm. And so we systematically bring them through exposure and response prevention where we run towards the fear, we reduce or resist their safety behaviors, it's going to be anxiety provoking at first, but eventually you're going to get used to that sensation. You're going to get used to that feeling. Mm. And as long as you're not doing your compulsion or your safety behavior, you are eventually also going to have that kind of corrective experience of, oh my gosh, like I was, you know, in that room with a spider and I didn't get bit. Or in the event that let's say, you know, in the chance that you do accidentally get bit because life happens, 
chances are the world will continue spinning. Yeah, and you didn't, you didn't lose control. You, yeah, the world didn't end. Um, uh, I use this, you know, uh, graded exposure and things uh, to evoke those th- those feelings um, with all themes. And there's always a way you can do it, no matter how taboo the theme is. You can always do it in a way that's safe and ethical with the therapist, um, which is with an ERP trained therapist as well. Um, so th- things like, you know, uh, if, you know, if I'm having thoughts about, I don't know, my, my little niece or something, um, and which, which I don't like, and then they're taboo and they're the opposite of who I want, uh, an exposure for me would be to do just like offer to change her, her, her nappy or diaper, mm-hmm. you know? There and you yes, my, the anxiety would be like, yeah, but what if this is bad? What if you lose control? Blah, blah, blah. Which by the way, is one of the central worries of all OCD is what if I lose control? What if I lose control? Mm-hmm. What if I do something? I, you know, something, something bad happens as a result of me not doing either. What if, the, what if? Yeah. What if, what if, what if? Yeah. So yeah, that's an example of what you could do. Uh, you know, things like driving anxiety, losing control, anxiety. Um, I mentioned the one about throwing the ashtray at your work, at your boss, you know what? Well, I'd be like, well, put your hand on the ashtray. Mm-hmm. See, see, see if and that and have those thoughts. Let those uh, thoughts come. Right? Yeah. Let them be there. Let them be there. It's basically, yeah. Exp- ERP is exposing, exposing yourself to the fear Whilst trying to pra- practice, the keywords practice, practice doing nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just just hitting, you, just let it hit you without, and you'll notice all the little safety behaviors you do, like, oh, I need to do that just in case, or that just in case, that just in case, that just in case, and that's why ERP is actually good for things outside of OCD as well. It's really good for mm-hmm. other anxiety disorders, for like agoraphobia and panic disorder. You know, it's sitting there and letting the feelings hit you without doing anything. Stop scanning for the exits just in case you panic. Stop reaching for your sweets and candy just in case you panic. Stop ringing your auntie because she can help calm you down just in case you panic. Reaching for music to distract you from your thoughts because you don't want to sit alone with your thoughts, right? Yeah, yeah. this, This concept of like, you need to give your brain the experience because that's how our brains learn through experience, not through logic, not through your grandma Joe, like telling you that everything's going to be fine. Like you need to give your brain the experience that you can handle it without Mm. needing any of these safety behaviors. And you need to give your brain the experience that this is just uncomfortable. It's not dangerous. And also that it's not going to last forever. That's the perfect sentence, I think, to end this podcast on. You need to give your brain the experience and you need to learn that you, you know, you can, that, that you can handle it. You can, you always have done as well. That's what I always say to people. They're like, I can't, I can't like name me a time when you didn't handle it. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. See it how might not have been can... pretty, right. It might not have been pretty <laughs> and it might've been really, really hard, but like I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, and I, I remember, I feel like you were the post that I, I, I was like, wow, that's such a good point. And like, I use that all the time in my sessions with people. It's like, I feel like at the root of all these themes, right? Like whether it's hit and run OCD, relationship OCD, sexual orientation OCD, if we Mm. do that downward arrow technique and we keep saying like, okay, well then what? What would be so bad about not knowing your sexual identity 100%? Well, Mm. then I might make a a, a decision I regret. Okay, what would be so bad about that? Well, then I would live my life, you know, as a fraud. What would be so terrible about that? Then I would look Mm. back and have regret, right? Like- Mm. 
I, I think when we like do this downward arrow technique, which anyone could easily Google and, and how it relates to anxiety and how it relates to OCD, it brings you to kind of these core fears, right? And I feel like the ultimate core fear for everyone and that every single person universally can relate to is that I can't handle it. Mm. But yeah, the it's a fear of not being able to handle is, it. Yeah, like we can, we can. Yeah. And ERP, like on a silver platter, if you do it and you hang in there, no matter how hard it can be sometimes, if you do it and you hang in there, ERP will give you, you can handle it. Look at how awesome you are. Yeah, and that and that is the base for ERP. That's why I like it. Uh, Jenna, where can people find you? So as you mentioned, I am over at uh, jenna.overbaugh on Instagram. Um, you can also see me hanging out um, on NoCD's Instagram as well. Um, so I'm over at NoCD. If, if anything that you've been hearing resonates with you, find me at NoCD. I would love to work with some of you guys. Um, and yeah, happy to uh, also have some of you check out my podcast too. It's called All the Hard Things and we go... Uh, uh, really deep into a lot of these things, especially with postpartum OCD. So um, mostly on Instagram and my podcast. Yeah, go check it out. Go check it out. I I endorse it. Jenna, thank you for joining me. And thank you for listening wherever you are, whether you're at home or walking about. Um, OCD is very common. True thoughts are very common. They thrive because they're the opposite of who you are. Um, And if, you know, people with OCD live with their threat response on every day, all day, every day, And if you manage to get through your day with a threat response that is literally fear pounding through your head, then kudos to you. That's bravery and courage. I'll catch you next time. And thank you very much, Jenna. Thank you.